Canto 7 begins with them encountering Plutus, the lesser god that they had just caught sight of at the end of Canto 6. And it's an interesting encounter. Um, first of all, it's worth just thinking a little bit about who Plutus was. His parents were agricultural gods. Um, in particular, his mother was the goddess Demeter. And in classical mythology, he's often shown or depicted holding a cornucopia, a horn of plenty, and giving from the goods of the earth um, freely um, and in celebration during festivities and so on. But here he's shown differently in hell. Um, instead, as William Blake actually depicts him rather accurately, um, although it's not actually in the text, um, Plutus has got his hand on a money bag. Um, it's like his cornucopia, um, which should be giving, has become a sack that tries to withhold. And that's his kind of perversion um, here in hell. Um, it sets up a theme for the canto. Um, Virgil says to Dante, don't worry, um, he's got no grip on us here. Um, and I think that's because they're now really into their descent. You know, a bit like money stops mattering when life actually is really collapsing. Um, and when uh, you've given up the hope, as it were, that it can keep you still. Um, so too, there's no reason why Plutus, the god here, should really withhold them. Um, and so they leave him muttering these strange words, uh, Papa Satan, Papa Satan, which people have thought uh, might be, you know, Satan's my Pope or some sort of perversion like that. Um, and it's said that um, like the wind that goes out of sails and they just leaves them hanging and, and, and drooping, um, so too um, the, the terror um, of, of first catching sight of Plutus just sort of disperses, disappears. And again, I think that's a, um, a kind of allusion to how money um, is this insubstantial thing, in fact, um, that whilst in one moment of life um, it can seem like the most important and solid thing there is, when you're in another moment of life, much like Dante is now, um, it actually uh, really doesn't seem important at all. It's a comment too, I think, on Dante's times. Um, he lives in these times where mercantilism um, is really beginning to take hold. Um, you might even go so far as to say the first kind of sweatshops of Europe were beginning to emerge, particularly around the textile and cloth trade. Um, so property um, was becoming um, important in the modern sense, um, as it were, knowing what you owned, what you didn't own, how things could become property, could become owned in order that they could be traded. Um, so that whole mercantile, um, early, early, early um, predecessors to capitalism um, is starting to develop. So this is quite a good canto um, uh, for them to encounter now at this stage. And they pass Plutus. Um, and the next thing they see um, are indeed people who have been trapped by the god of money. Um, Dante remarks that there's actually more people here um, in this circle um, than he's seen um, heretofore. So even the circles are getting slightly tighter, there's more and more souls um, in these circles. Again, this expression of the kind of psychological uh, pain and entrapment um, that they're beginning to experience. Um, and they're depicted um, pushing great um, uh, weights, um, a bit like Sisyphus pushing his boulder up the hill. So um, bringing in the idea of the kind of pointlessness of a life that's spent pushing the great weight of money around. Um, and But they're depicted in rather an interesting way. Um, Dante sees 
um, people pushing these great weights into semicircles. Um, and the semicircles, as it were, kind of join at the top, um, where they have a great clash. Um, and one side says, you hoarders, and the other side says, you wasters. And then they go back down again. Um, and then they repair again at the top and say, you hoarders, you wasters, and then go back down again. Um, and it's a brilliant uh, image of um, the kind of inwardness um, of a life spent pursuing uh, financial wealth. Um, uh, you know, all in a way you can ask is, am I hoarding or am I wasting? Um, which these souls are then um, uh, cursed to enact out in eternity. They've forgotten, you might say, that life can be about anything else. And again, it's, you know, quite a, um, a profound warning um, to um, us now, um, 700 years on, uh, where money really has become the thing that um, shapes um, the whole economy um, and indeed shapes our whole lives. If you think about how you spend your week, um, what proportion, as it were, you spend maybe paying off a mortgage or paying into a pension, um, as it were, your present moment, um, it's very easy for it to become subsumed into serving money and for a lot of mental preoccupation to be about you know am i spending correctly should i be saving now um it's very interesting you know in in the present in a capitalist economy um there's no um really much space to enjoy the wealth of the here and now instead the preoccupation is on growth um, or it's on taking out insurance against um, fears of the past that might return into the present um, and so you start to see these um, hellish themes um, even in the here and now, you remember that Dante's already, already seen that uh, people in hell are either preoccupied with the past or fixated on the future and can't really um, enjoy the present for its own sake, but also because it's in the present that things change. And so very um, tangibly um, in this canto, you see people whose lives have become preoccupied with money um, that uh, tends to make us become fixated on fears from the past returning, hence insurance, or anticipating fears from the future coming down the line, um, you know, so hence um, taking out pensions and, and all the rest of it. Um, I guess the key thing to remark is not that uh, Dante is against money per se, and um, what he's against um, is when it gets you locked in these perpetual circles, um, sort of going nowhere, um, and a life that does that is going to um, lead to the kind of perceptions which uh, trap people in Canto 7. Um, it's also um, the life of the many. There's this collective sense. Um, he says he sees loads and loads and loads of people there. Um, and it's also striking that in Canto 7, um, they don't distinguish any individual souls. Um, they don't talk to any individual people. Um, and Dante says a couple of times, um, I can't see any particular person here. And I think that's because they've lost touch with um, the soul that gives the vitality to the material world, that gives it um, its distinctiveness, its differentiation, um, its particular place and presence in the material world. Again, he's not against the material world, but he's against it when it becomes an end in itself, rather than the means through which um, a deeper life, deeper truths, a deeper sense of things can shine through. And again, that's what money tends to thwart. He notices, though, that there are a lot of priests here and cardinals. We've already heard Plutus talking about Papacetan at the beginning. Um, he notices them by their tonsures, even though he can't see quite who they are. Um, and um, I think this is partly a remark about their medieval church um, and its splendours, um, but becoming too concerned for its worldly splendours. 
and then losing sight, as it were, of the splendour of God, even though those worldly splendours are supposed to speak of that transcendent splendour. Um, but I, I feel, too, that this is a warning, really, to um, the church even now, and how spiritual yearning can very easily morph into spiritual materialism. Um, so, for example, that's trying to build um, heaven on earth in too literal a way. It's getting too preoccupied with material concerns. And even, you might say, things which in themselves are not bad, but when they become the end um, point of the gospel, they do become bad. Personally, I think an example of this in the modern world is an over-preoccupation with social justice. And this when, um, is when the gospel comes to be seen as a kind of extension of secular goals, um, trying to bring, back a, bring about a more distributed world and so on. Now, this is not a bad end in itself, um, but when it becomes the sole end, when it, you might say it so occupies the imagination of Christians um, that they lose sight of the kingdom that's not of this world and don't really know how to speak about and stand for that, then it does become an end in itself. And, and moreover, you, you kind of feel it because um, it makes uh, the gospel feel kind of like this moral weight, um, like this um, um, sort of guilt trip. Um, uh, that, you, that, that you invite people to go on, constantly preoccupied about what they have and what they don't have. Again, are they hoarding? Are they wasting? Um, and as Dante, um, as hears Virgil say in, in this canto, um, that attitude can actually rob people of this lovely world um, because they don't have um, the sight that sees um, what's more glorious shining through uh, material things. Um, I actually think this is quite a major problem for the church in the modern world and it's why it doesn't really appeal to people um, very much um, because they hear the church saying the sorts of things which politicians say um, which not necessarily bad in themselves but not really offering very much more and so they think well you might as well go for the politicians who at least can try and do something about it um, rather than the church people who just sound a bit worthy and leave you feeling rather guilty and empty um, having lost sight of that which makes this world uh, most lovely so this then raises the question for Dante of what true wealth actually is. Um, it's quite a good sign here. He's thinking about things. Um, he's learning from the descent, not being overwhelmed by it. Virgil remarks at one point that he's intent on seeing. Um, so what is uh, uh, true wealth? Um, Dante, you know, in effect, asks Virgil. And they then have a quick discussion about the nature of fortune. Um, this is another big kind of theme in the medieval world, stemming particularly from Boethius's The Consolation of Philosophy, um, which was one of the most popular books um, uh, at the time, written a few centuries before, which features fortune turning her famous wheel. Um, so when people are at the top of the wheel, they're full of good fortune, it seems, um, but then the wheel doesn't stop turning and eventually they find themselves at the bottom where they've lost all that they had which of course was the situation for Boethius in the Consolation of Philosophy. He'd been one of the, the highest standing figures in the land and lost it all almost overnight. Um, so this idea of the Wheel of Fortune was one that people thought about a lot um, and it tended to be interpreted um, as just kind of good and bad luck. You know, the Wheel of Fortune turns, one day you've got good luck, one day you've got the next, one year things go well, the next year things don't. Um, so as a kind of moral tale, 
Um, but again, I think um, Dante's pushing for something much more subtle here, um, as indeed Boethius was. Um, this isn't, isn't just a kind of fable um, to sort of warn you off holding on to things too tightly because one day you're going to lose them, you know, in this life, if not in death. Um, it's actually saying something else. And what's really striking is that fortune here in the Divine Comedy um, is described as, first of all, seeing infinity. Um, she's presented as one of the angels, in fact, who looks over, us, looks after a certain domain, a certain, a certain sphere of life, um, and who shares in the joy and the bliss of God. Um, so it immediately makes you think, you know, how can um, this fortune that keeps turning um, be enjoying these kind of eternal splendours, these eternal goods? Um, and what uh, Virgil explains to Dante um, is that um, fortune's not against worldly splendour. But fortune wants to teach you that worldly splendour um, is just a kind of um, uh, a screen through which can come deeper splendours, as it where we catch sight um, of material gold um, in order to awaken the sight um, of perpetual gold um, in our mind's eye. Um, it's a bit like light, um, Virgil explains, um, that uh, um, the light, as it were, of a candle in an inner room um, can light up the room a bit like material spenders can light up our life. Um, but the true light of the sun um, sheds its its glories as it were on everything, um, bounces off mirrors, doesn't diminish, um, you know, kind of fills the whole cosmos. Um, and that's what um, the divine splendors are like, um, which material splendor and fortune ideally um, should train you, should teach you to see. So fortune turns her wheel so you don't get too stuck on material splendour. Um, and if you do, ultimately, she will take them away uh, completely. Um, but that's why fortune, with its comings and goings, um, is actually a blessing. Um, the people in this canto of hell haven't seen that. They're trying to hold on to their goods. Um, Dante, you might say, perhaps is beginning to see that, even though he, in the midpoint of his life, had felt everything had fallen apart. Perhaps this descent, a bit like fortune's wheel turning, um, is going to teach him something else. And I think you can put it like this. Um, it's a bit like um, a kind of what, what Carl Jung called the transcendent function. Um, and this is the idea that um, rather than kind of fighting um, what we think to be true, what we think to be the case, what we feel we possess that we can hold on to, um, we should um, let it go, sit a bit more lightly to it in order that deeper truths um, might start to shine through um, what we think we've grasped. Um, and if we don't sit lightly to life like that, then life tends to have this capacity to, as it were, um, seemingly throw us under the bus. Um, but actually, it's in order to kind of loosen um, the way we try to grip and possess it, in order that something transcendent, um, something which we couldn't really see, we couldn't really even imagine, could start to make its appearance to us. Um, so this is a sense, um, even in their descent, of beginning to get a taste for what the ascent uh, might be like. So fortune can give us everlasting gifts. And it seems that Dante has begun to get this. He doesn't sort of, as it were, um, express it himself. Um, but it's quite striking that they keep moving quite speedily in this canto. Um, you know, they're moving through grey, black worlds um, with dingy banks and mud and muck. Um, it's it's a deeply unpleasant place. And in fact, at this point, um, they see the river Styx, um, having left um, uh, the, the avaricious and the profligate behind. 
um, they they meet uh, the sticks and and they and Dante describes it as a kind of swampy, um, grey and mushy place. Um, this second river um, in hell. Um, but within the same canto, um, they find themselves also descending into the fifth round. Um, they, they've already moved into a new circle of hell. Again, this sense that Dante is kind of getting the descent um, and so they can move swiftly on. Um, and in the mud, um, they see um, two sorts of people. Um, above, um, they see uh, individuals fighting it out um, in sort of perpetual um, battles with each other, um, eye to eye, fist to fist. Um, Dante even says that they were using their mouths and their chests um, and their legs, their whole person, as it were, is locked in the battle um, with their opponent. And then in the mud beneath, um, Virgil says, if you could see, what you would see is individuals lying on their backs, um, saying how uh, cross and angry they are. Um, but uh, not being able to be heard because um, they're sucking in the mud even as they speak. And so all that they see are the bubbles rising to the surface um, of the swamp. Um, now, these, these are two forms of anger, you might say. Um, one is the anger that um, projects itself out onto another um, and hates the other and fights the other um, and gets trapped and locked that way. And then the other sort um, underneath in the swamp um, is the kind of anger that turns inward and gets locked in internal battles, as violent as the external battles, um, but with the effect of trapping the person um, by um, enabling them almost not to move in life. Um, you do see people like this um, every so often, individuals who are so angry inside that it kind of freezes them. Um, externally and so um, the life drains out of them as well. Um, it's, it's quite as uh, hellish um, as uh, feeling perpetually full of rage and anger. Um, now again a bit like money I think that Dante's not saying that anger per se is bad. Um, we'll see plenty of anger actually even anger in paradise um, but the point there is that the anger can flow um, a bit like money that can move around and flow and facilitate a deeper life. Um, so too, there is a kind of anger that can facilitate um, a deeper desire, a deeper um, attempt to, uh, to grasp something. Um, but these angers in hell can really grasp only themselves. Um, and so they lock the people in them in a kind of zero-sum game um, where they, they only feel they win if someone else is defeated. Um, or when that turns inwards, it turns into a kind of self-defeat as the individual gets more and more and more consumed. Um, so I think that that's why, although they're now in the fifth canto of hell, um, the, the side of money um, turning uh, life into a hellish mess and anger uh, turning life into a kind of living hell. And that's why they, do go, they both go together, because both money and anger in their different ways can make us lose this capacity to see that you know, what we're holding on to, what we're so passionate about, um, is only an early attempt to see a deeper truth. And that if only we could do that, to let go of it a bit, um, to develop this tr more transcendent capacity, um, then we might see that these early truths and these things which we've become so um, passionate about um, are actually just the first step towards seeing deeper truths that, as it were, lie just beyond them, just behind them, and that long um, to show themselves to us, um, reveal a much more lovely world, you might say, much as worldly splendours are but an echo of the true splendours of the divine life, of infinity, of the true light. Um, and that we need to 
uh, learned to see um, that was transmitting that and not as ends in themselves. So quite quickly now, Dante and Virgil leave Plutus. They leave um, the, 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 the money obsessed with their perpetual semicircles um, and now leave um, the angry um, in their kind of two-dimensional world. Um, Grey, unlovely, distressing, um, entrapped, um, but they leave that behind. Um, and at the end of the canto, we're told they just catch sight of a tremendous tower. And it signals now that Dante, who is beginning to learn, as it were, his first lesson from his descent, um, which is to realise that behind seeming uh, horrors, seeming sins, you know, like lust, like love of money, um, like anger, um, that if he can keep a mind about them, keep his reason about these appetites that can otherwise so trap people, he too can start to see something else. But at this stage, it's only going to deepen his descent, because if he's learnt, as it were, that first kind of truth, um, he's now got to learn even harder ones.